It's so good to see you all this morning. We are uh, steering in to have a little bit of a look at a bit of vision. And as we say that, please understand we're not going to be sharing strategy and specifics. That's something that we're still seeking God for and uh, beginning to work out a little bit. But what we are looking at is the broad strokes of what we believe God is saying to us just now and what He's speaking into the journey that is ahead. And as we open the Word then, we lean into the prophetic quite a bit and seek to just speak prophetically into what's going on and allow God to plant this in the soul of the church as we open it up today and then begin to journey into it over the next month to year or so. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Isaiah 54? The word that I believe God would speak to us about today, I know we're exploring a year of joy and we are, but I think that one of the words that God would speak into the life of the church today is that we are to grow. We are coming into a season of growth and we approach the word of God to help us process that. Isaiah 54 and verse 1. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. For you'll spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. These words are powerful words that we gather around to envision us today as a church family. And as we do, we have to begin by calling out the context of the verses that we're reading and then call out how it is that we are going to handle them. Isaiah 54 naturally flows on from Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is a moving chapter of Scripture in which Isaiah prophesies the suffering of Jesus and he prophesies the salvation that will be experienced due to his death and resurrection. Chapter 54 then builds on this prophetic picture and paints a further picture of what will happen as a result of his death and resurrection. And the picture is this. Israel, the barren and desolate, will burst with fruitfulness. Israel will see many spiritual children from the four corners of the earth. And the tent that we read of in this Old Testament book is a prophetic metaphor for the church. So very simplistically, we call out very quickly the contextual interpretation of these verses and recognize the purpose that they serve within the story of salvation upon the face of the earth. However, this morning, as we allow them to speak into our context and into our time, we approach them in a slightly different way and we take these verses at face value. We understand the prophetic meaning that there is found there within Isaiah 54, but as we allow God to speak to us through these verses, we take them at face value and we allow them to speak prophetically again. And as we do, we do indeed lean into the prophetic to hear what God is saying to us in this, the 96th year of Glasgow Elam's ministry. So we dive in. In his writing, the prophet Isaiah speaks to a person. Now again, we know it's a metaphor here, but we are taking this at face value. He speaks to a person, he speaks to a woman, and he commands her to sing. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. 
In the original Hebrew, this word is linked to joy, and certainly the sentiment is picked up in the sentences that we're reading where it talks about bursting into song and shouting out for joy. The Hebrew word that is used here is the word ronan. And in each of the other places in Scripture that this word is used, it's always linked to joy. And most times, when it is used, it's used to describe the emotional response in worship as the result of an experience of supernatural transformation. The singing that is therefore called for in Isaiah is the singing that would normally be found at the end of a transformative process. It's the singing that takes place when a soul has experienced change. It's a singing that takes place once a soul has experienced the move of God, once the miracle has taken place, once the breakthrough has occurred. This singing is the kind of Julie Andrews on the top of the Swiss Alps spinning around to the sound of music type, joy-filled moment type singing. There is a deep, powerful, unrestricted joy and rejoicing that is found as the result of an experience of breakthrough. However, while we recognize that that is the experience that is spoken of here, that is not the current experience of the woman in Isaiah 54. According to what is written in Isaiah about this woman, the current experience is barrenness. And what opens this up and helps us to understand what God is saying and what He's saying is a little bit strange, but what opens this up and helps us understand what he's saying is when we recognize that the Hebrew word for barren actually means sterile. And that's helpful because the condition of the woman that's described to us is one of barrenness. But she's sterile, so it's not that she just doesn't want to have kids. It's not that she just doesn't have kids. It's not that she hasn't found the right fella to settle down with and explore family with. It's not that she doesn't. It's that she can't. This is something out with her control. It's not about desire. It's not about planning. It's not about decisions. It's not about the stars lining up. This is out with her control. And as Isaiah paints this picture of how this impacts her, he describes her as desolate. The Cambridge Dictionary, in its definition of this word, actually gives an example of the word being used. And it says, a desolate place is an empty and not attractive place with no people and nothing pleasant in it. So from that description, then, we see that Isaiah presents to us the soul of this woman. What's going on within, she feels empty, unattractive, lonely, depressed. And what we have to remember is how she's presented. She is introduced as a barren woman, a woman who is sterile. It's not that she doesn't, it's that she can't. And I think these words are really important for us to land on as a church, because I think they reflect the journey of the church in this season just past. And as I say that, please hear I'm referring to the church in general and not just specifically this church. The journey during and prior to COVID was a strange one. And on reflection, we could say it was a bit of a barren one. Yes, we got all excited about viewing figures in the countries of the world that were tuning into our online services. But once we learned to interpret those figures properly, and once we saw what emerged out the other side of the pandemic, we saw that actually those stats didn't really amount to much. I think it's fair to say that during the pandemic, as we were locked down, things were a whole new level of different, and ministry was nowhere near what it was. 
However, if you stretch the reminiscing further, if you look back at the last decade, the journey from the early 2000s right up until recently, we can recognize that there was a shift in what God was doing and there was a shift in the way that God was doing it. And yes, God was at work. Souls were being saved. There were moments of ministry. There were visitations of his presence, but it was quite different than that season before that was all about renewal and outpouring and manifestations and miracles. It was quite different than the glory days. And in church world, I think we can look back on those seasons just past and view them with tinted glasses and perhaps even view them negatively. Sadly, at times we can transfer that negativity onto leaders within those seasons who sought to shape ministry and direction. I think what we have to understand is that those seasons just past were under God's control. And they were as much under God's control as the seasons before that that were all about renewals and outpourings and manifestations. And it wasn't so much that the church didn't, and by that I mean it wasn't so much that the church didn't want to move in outpourings and renewal. It wasn't so much that the church didn't desire to or didn't plan to, it's just that it couldn't because that wasn't what God was doing. Days of renewal, outpouring, visitations, they were precious. Times of ministry and inner healing and transformation and manifestations, they were incredible and they were fun and they were life-giving, but it wasn't so much that just recently in the seasons just gone past that the church didn't want to facilitate those things. It wasn't that it didn't. It was that it couldn't. God wasn't doing that. And I think God would have us understand that those previous seasons and what did or didn't take place wasn't so much about desire. It was about inability. He was doing something different within his church because at the end of the day, he's God and it's his church. <clears throat> and I guess I've become a little bit more directional as I realize that I speak today to a church whose story includes renewal and whose history includes revival. In fact, whose reputation is linked to renewal. There are those within this church right now who experienced that wonderful season of renewal that shaped Glasgow Elam so powerfully. Some who came to faith during that renewal. Some people whose faith came alive during those times when the Spirit of God was being so freely poured out. There may even be those within our church family who have come from other experiences of renewal and experienced outpouring and significant ministry in places outside these four walls because we recognize God does move outside these four walls. He does. And having these experiences of renewal and outpouring and all that stuff, they can cause us to view church life and ministry through a set of tinted glasses. And they can also cause us to have an inflated benchmark of success and failure and what we deem to be God at work and what we don't. This morning, permit me to be bold. I need to ask that we take the tinted glasses off. Take off the tinted glasses of renewal Take off the tinted glasses of outpouring. Remove the prejudiced vision of ministry and see things for what they are and recognize what he's doing now. And more importantly, hear this truth. Looking back on the past season since that time, please hear this. It wasn't that the church didn't. It's that it couldn't. We look back on that period of time, and I've heard loads of stories since I've arrived here about the amazing things that God did and how that didn't happen for a period of time, and I want to communicate today what I think God would say to us. It wasn't that the church didn't, 
it's that it couldn't. If God is the shepherd of the church, then the seasons of ministry and the contents within it are under His control. And whether we like to acknowledge it or not, God wasn't ministering in the same way that He had done before. He was still moving and He was still ministering, but just not in the same way. And what we also need to call out is that nostalgia and memory always exaggerate reality. The seasons in the past always become greater. The view in the rearview mirror always seems to be golden. But the honest truth is the fact that the church didn't continue to operate as it had before. It wasn't based upon desire and it wasn't based upon logistics and it wasn't placed upon planning and destiny. It wasn't that the church just wasn't being as fruitful as it was before. It wasn't that it didn't. It was that it couldn't. And maybe we need to remove our tinted glasses. Maybe we need to repent of some heart attitudes. Maybe we need to let some leaders off the hook. Maybe, just maybe, we need to realize that God is no man's debtor. His ways are higher than ours. He doesn't have to move in certain ways just because we think that's the right thing for him to do. It wasn't that she didn't, it was that she couldn't. Now, there is encouragement coming. And the encouragement too is is that while we're presented with the condition of this woman in these verses, and again, we know it's a metaphor, but we're taking a prophetic metaphor, but we're taking it at face value. While we're presented with the condition of the woman, we're also presented with God's plan and God's intention. And his plan is transformative. God's plan is to radically transform this situation and this condition. And he says this, sing barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman. God's plan is transformative. His plan is for a complete turnaround and a complete change. He's going to change things for this barren woman. Empty is going to become full. Inability is going to be transformed to ability. The hemmed in is going to break out and the glum is going to glow. This is what God's going to do. And nothing and nobody can stop that or influence it. This is the influence of God alone. Nobody can manufacture this. However, while we recognize this cannot be manufactured, the barren woman is given one job to do. Her job is to sing. The woman is to sing. And the reason for her singing is that God's going to turn her barrenness into fruitfulness. He's going to move her from feeling empty to being full. But here's the thing. God gives her prophetically a reason to sing, but her singing is also the route into her new season. Her reason to sing is that her barrenness is turned to fruitfulness and her emptiness to fullness, but her singing is also her gateway and it is the catalyst for what has been promised. The key phrase that helps us understand that is the phrase burst into song. The original Hebrew word that is used there, it means to break out. And this Hebrew word is used a mere seven sorry, eight times in the Holy Old Testament, and seven out of the eight is always linked to singing and linked to joy. And if your mind's anything like mine, then you're sitting thinking, so what was the eighth one? And the eighth time it's used was to describe a set of bones being completely broken and shattered, so let's not chat about that. But seven out of eight times it's linked to singing and joy. The suggestion that is found in these verses is not just to break out in song, But it's actually that her singing is what is going to cause her to break out of her current condition and into what God has in store. 
She is to break out in song, and as a result, she is to break through into the new. Now, I think what God might be speaking to us at Glasgow Elam, and I think what he might be speaking to us as a church, is that it's time for us to learn to sing again. A key component for us as a church is finding our voice again. He would speak to us and encourage us that as we break out in worship, we will break into what he has in store for us. We've to grow in praise. We've to grow in worship. Now, there's some important detail with regard to that. This woman is commanded to sing, but notice that the reason for her singing is not based upon her current reality. She's to sing because of the change that is coming to her life, but the change is not yet there. It's not yet her current reality, but yet the woman is called to sing. She is to sing because of the change that is coming. The singing woman here is described as barren. She's not yet fruitful. She's not yet in labor. Her arms are not yet full of children. She's still barren. She's still desolate. But she's a barren woman with a promise. She has been promised fullness and fruitfulness. And her promise is from God himself. God has spoken and said that this has happened. He has decreed that this is going to be our portion. He has released prophetic revelation that this is going to be her experience. So this woman lives with expectation in her soul. She lives with anticipation in her heart. And the voice of God shapes her perspective. The voice of God shapes her vision and her view of life and her view of the world and her view of the purpose of God. And as a result, she is instructed to let her vision shape her voice. She's called to sing within her current reality, but based upon her expectation. The change has not yet come. The transformation has not yet taken place, but the call to sing has already been issued. This woman is commanded to sing based on her prophetic expectation as opposed to her present experience. She is to let her vision shape her voice. Child of God, there are times that God speaks into the soul with a word, with a picture, with a message, an instinct, an impression, a revelation, inspiration. There are moments that he breathes into our innermost being, the very plans and purposes that he has in store, that change is going to come and breakthrough is going to arrive. There are times where there is no doubt that God promises in response to the struggle, this too shall pass, when he tells us that the night season will end and the morning will rise on a brand new day. These moments of personal revelation are precious. They are prophetic promises from God himself that set the soul alight with expectation and to burn with anticipation. When God's voice brings revelation to the soul, it's like a fire is lit in the innermost being that burns with consuming power and fuels desire and anticipation. And as we journey with that burning deep within as we navigate our journey waiting on the time scale of God to match the agenda of God, all too often that period of waiting, that passage of time between revelation and arrival, the passage of time can be like a wet blanket on a smoldering fire, can't it? When we first receive the revelation, it explodes to life within us. But the further we journey away from the moment of revelation without fulfillment, it's like the flame gets dimmer and the passion wanes. 
Delay and tarrying, waiting and withholding can cause flames to turn to embers and dreams to die inside. And it's not that we don't believe, it's just we haven't seen it yet. And so the passion and the urgency wanes with the passage of time. But what fuels the fire of the soul is when the heart learns to sing not out of its current reality, but out of divine anticipation. We must learn to sing out of prophetic expectation as opposed to our present experience. We need to let our vision shape our voice because breaking out in song leads to breaking through into the new season of the soul. And as we speak that individually, we also need to take that stance as a church. God is lining up a new season for us. And already we see glimpses of it. Growth physically and spiritually in our midst, coupled with salvations and new life happening on a regular basis. We get a glimpse and a taste of what is to come. This is the first fruits of the new season, church. This is the new ground that God is calling us to. And as a church, then, we must learn to sing out of prophetic expectation and not out of our present experience. We need to let our vision together corporately shape our voice together. Because breaking out in such singing is what brings breakthrough and releases momentum. Now, at the risk of sounding like something you might turn on on a good TV channel, how is that the case? Because when we sing out of prophetic expectation, well, if it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, then when we begin to sing, out of that expectation and out of that prophetic expectation and anticipation, we actually cause the heart to connect with that which has been revealed as our portion and our Lord. Our expectation not only connects the heart to that which we're expectant for, but it moves the heart towards it. It brings direction. It releases momentum, which is why Isaiah says, burst out in song. To break out is to break into what is ahead. He prophesies, your emptiness is going to be replaced with fullness. Start singing now about that season. Last week, we landed on the truth that our singing is to be spirit-filled. Our moments of worship should flow out of the flowing in of the spirit. They are spiritual dimensions to our worship. And in the moments that we allow our prophetic expectation to shape our singing instead of our current reality, well, we have to recognize that the Spirit, He begins to inhabit those moments. He begins to minister within such expressions. And He begins to move to bring the prophetic expectation to become our present experience. As Gulam, I really believe that God is calling us to grow in our worship and in particular to grow in our singing. There is a grace that is being released for breakthrough to take place as we break out in song and allow the heart to lift beyond our present reality to connect with the prophetic revelation that he's actually whispering amongst us right now. Significant shaping, alignment, transformation is going to be found within moments of worship as we unite in song and press into him with all that we've got. Glasgow Elam, we have to allow our vision to shape our voice. And we have to sing out of prophetic expectation and not our present experience. It's time we found our voice again. Now God speaks through the prophet Isaiah to the barren woman. He envisions her 
for what is to come. We know it's a metaphor, but we're taking it at face value. He calls her to a posture of praise and a posture of worship. And it's really important that as we press into these verses that we recognize that as God speaks through his prophet, he speaks to what will be and not to what is. He's calling out what will happen as opposed to narrating what has already taken place. And this is particularly helpful when we slide into verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And when you look at this, this verse doesn't really contain a prophetic promise. It just contains a command and then a list of instructions. And if the first verse releases worship and praise, then the second verse releases action. And God requests that action be taken now for what will happen at the fulfillment of the promise. And if it's action that's to be taken ahead of what is going to take place, then what we read is preparation. God instructs preparation. He gives insight into what is going to happen. He prophesies and breathes anticipation and expectation at the heart and the soul. But then he goes all practical. And he instructs preparatory action. He says, get ready now for what is next. Preparations have to be made for the arrival of the promise. And it strikes me that these instructions that are to be put in place, instructions that reflect a not yet reality, instructions that don't reflect the status quo, well, to act upon that, that's pretty bold and courageous. If they're acting upon what isn't yet, then what they do is they put expectation on display. For someone to enlarge their tent and open up the tent curtains wide suggests that they're anticipating growth and they're expecting to need more room. And these instructions, they aren't about heart posture, and we'll come to that. They aren't about mental preparation or even steps that need to be taken emotionally to prepare for what is to come. Heck, there's nothing even spiritual listed here. No praying and fasting, no death to self, no repentance stuff. These steps are practical steps. And the actions that are described are visible actions. They're not private, they're not hidden away, they're not done in secret. They're actions that are going to be seen and are going to be recognized by everybody around. These actions put expectation on display. And they actually move faith in what has been promised from rhetoric to reality. They are faith in action. And you know what? There are moments that we need to move the prophetic from rhetoric to action. There are moments when church is a sign of spiritual maturity. We need to stop gathering around statements and chat and flashy spiritual punchlines and actually move into action to do what God is calling us to do, to embody that which he is revealing to us, to bring practical alongside the spiritual. Because we're spiritual beings in a human body, so clearly God's intention is for the spiritual and the practical to coexist. Now, this verse is quite important for us as a church. The first verse that we've described is something that we can step into almost immediately, and we're going to at the end of the service as we step into a place of beginning to find our voice again. But this, this verse becomes quite important because it's almost like something that we need to start to explore as a church culture over the next wee bit. We have to begin to embrace what God is revealing and speaking, but we actually must 
right now begin the preparatory work. And that's a bold and courageous step because it puts our expectation on display for everyone to see. And it's a brave thing to do when what you're preparing for doesn't match your current reality. Preparatory steps can seem daft and they can even come across as arrogant and cocky because they don't reflect the current reality but instead reveal the prophetic revelation that God has given us to carry. We need to enter into the preparation stage and be ready for what God is going to do. And this second verse, as I said, becomes the blueprint almost for this next season ahead. And the call to action begins with the call, enlarge the place of your tent. The phrases that follow are four steps to accomplish that. And what we focus on first off is the call to enlarge the tent. And that call to enlarge the tent is actually a call to change shape. It's a call to change the shape that is currently occupied and adopt a different form and a different shape than what currently is in place. Now, change is never easy, but change is always necessary. A church has to change and evolve. And unfortunately, the rhetoric that goes about is that we need to change and evolve in order to be relevant with an ever-changing culture, but that's just nonsense. A church doesn't change and evolve to stay in line with a changing culture. A church changes and evolves to stay in line with what God is doing within a changing culture. To not change is not only to become irrelevant within our changing culture, but in actual fact, it's to become completely irrelevant to what God is doing upon the face of the earth. So we have to be a church that is ever-changing and embracing what He is doing, moving and evolving with Him. Now, don't worry, this message isn't a message that says all change, nor is this message one that is somehow going to present that what was is bad and old school and everything has to be different from now on because actually we focus on something super important. Isaiah's prophecy does not command to go and get a brand new tent. Isaiah's revelation doesn't scoff at what was and state God refuses to work with that old tat. The instruction is not go and get a new tent, nor is the instruction to build a new tent. The instruction is to stretch the existing one. And here is a very important point. According to Isaiah, the call to stretch the tent is not so much about radical change. In actual fact, Stretching the tent is about opening up the existing structure to its fullest potential. And here then becomes a lens by which we have to view change. And in actual fact, here then becomes the framework for stewarding and handling change. It's not about ditching the old for the new. It's about embracing what is and walking it into its fullest potential. Glasgow Elam, we are gathered here right now in this room, in this moment, because we are the now generation of Glasgow Elam Church. We are responsible for this chapter in Glasgow Elam's history. So let's commit together, you and me, let's commit together right now that we are going to take hold of what is, and in our time, and with what we have, and with our efforts, we're going to journey it into its fullest potential. Let's make that commitment. It's not about change for the sake of change. It's not about get rid of the old to embrace the new. We are committing together that we're going to lay hold of what is. We're going to take Glasgow Elam right now and in our time and in our generation, we're going to walk it into its fullest potential. 
Now, that's easy to see. The hard thing is that according to Isaiah, embracing potential involves embracing stretching. It's a stretching experience. That means it can be an uncomfortable one. And often it's uncomfortable because it involves pushing boundaries. To enlarge the tent is a call to move the boundaries. And more often than not, that is about not settling. It's about pushing past what's comfortable and what's normative to make room for new. Glasgow and God is calling us to change our shape. I fully believe that by the time we gather in this moment in 12 months' time, we will have a completely different shape than we do right now. He's calling us to change our shape, which means opening up our structure to its fullest potential. And while that sounds exciting, what it also means is it's going to be a stretching experience, which really means things are going to be a little bit uncomfortable for a while. And we've sensed that already. That feeling of things being good, but uncomfortable at the same time. I don't know if you've noticed that in our gatherings of recent. That feeling that God is doing something, but it's clunky and it's a bit unsettling. Unsettling is a word that has been spoken to me many times recently. That feeling of sensing the heaviness of God's presence, but there's a heaviness that's not linked to God's presence coexisting at the same time. It's like God is moving, but yet it feels uncomfortable, doesn't quite fit. And that's because we're in a stretching experience right now. The wineskin is being stretched. And this season involves us pushing the boundaries to be what we're called to be. However, while it is a changing of shape, it will not be completely unrecognizable. He doesn't call us to build a completely new tent. He calls us to change the shape of the existing structure. And Glasgow Elam's experience changed. We had a pandemic. Two years ago today, my family and I stood on this platform and accepted the call of God to serve this church and the purpose of God for this church. One year ago to this very day, we gathered in this moment and opened up what we believe would be the vision of God for this church, to build that which will showcase God to the now, the next, and the not yet generations. And over the past recent journey, we can see God has been altering the shape of the church, but although he's been altering the shape, the structure is the same. It's still Glasgow Elam Church. And today as we gather afresh and we allow God to speak into the soul of the church, this new year does not automatically bring an all change. The DNA, the mission, the vision remains unchanged. Glasgow Elam will continue to seek God, share faith and serve others. That's our mission. We remain committed to building that which will showcase God to the now, the next, and the not yet generations. That's our vision. And our vision and our mission does not change. We continue to build upon our heritage, rich as it is. We continue to be planted in the south side of Glasgow for now. We are an Elam church with a Pentecostal doctrine that will not change. But within the familiarity of such culture and such structure comes a stretching and a reshaping for this season of ministry that we are placed within. And we have to embrace change. We have to step in and we have to journey out the stretching for a little bit. Which means we press in even in the times of discomfort and even in the times of clunkiness. Because we are being shaped. And this call to reshape is not about ditching everything that was and labeling it as worthless. It's about walking our church into its fullest potential. Come with us on this journey, would you?
Join us on this journey of walking Glasgow Elam into its fullest potential. You're like, well, before I join, what does it look like? And if you're a visitor here today or you've been checking us out for a while and you're wondering where we're going and what we're doing, then here it is right here laid bare. Four actions are called out within Isaiah that are important steps of preparation. First is to stretch the tent curtains wide. When the text refers to the curtain of the tent, it's actually referring to the walls of the tent. And the walls of the tent could be lifted and would be lifted to create more space within the covered structure. It would create more shade and open up the living space completely. The lifting of the curtains completely exposed the inside of the tent. Everyone could see right in. And it completely changed the footprint of the tent, made it much bigger. The call to stretch the tent curtains then is one that is all about making room It's a call to create space, but within that, there's also a call to increase. A call to make room is a call to increase in capacity, increase in welcome, but it's also a call to increase in vulnerability. In this stretching season, as God changes our shape, we need to be prepared to increase our welcome. And this is something that we can all do, and the good news is you don't need to go on a rota for it either. As of today, As pastor of the church, I can now announce this. Everybody in the church is officially on the welcome team. Now, don't worry, it doesn't mean that you need to take your place and slap a badge on at the door because the welcome of our church is not set by the team on the door. It's set by every single one of us, isn't it? It's the duty of all of us to welcome one another. And again, I'm going to ask for your grace and permission to be bold Because I've watched people come into our church sometimes for the first time and sit down in a row and be completely ignored by the people in the row next to them. I've spotted people hanging around at tea and coffee, looking over their coffee cup for someone to talk to and being left on their own. If I'm honest, the welcome of this church is something that we need to work on. And it's something that every single one of us has responsibility for. And we work on it not just because we want to be a nice place, but we work on it because actually increasing capacity, the call of God to change shape, to walk into our fullest potential, means we need to increase our welcome. Now, truth be told, we all have those that we like to connect with at church and catch up with each Sunday, and that's not wrong. But my request is this. Could we look outside our circle and say good morning to those whose faces seem new, to bring into conversation those that we spot standing alone? We need to increase our welcome. But that's more than just a friendship aspect and what we would deem as just basic manners. Glasgow, when we increase our welcome, we also increase our vulnerability. There will be those who will walk through our doors in the coming weeks and months, I prophesy right now, that will look different to us, think different, behave different, believe different, and we need to welcome them. And we need to understand that extending welcome does not compromise culture because our culture is the presence of God and he's big enough to handle anything. We need to welcome those whose journey with God isn't quite where we're at and we need to welcome the fact that people will journey and process faith differently than we do and at different paces to us and that's 100% okay. And with that comes an increase in vulnerability. I really truly believe that a period of significant growth is right before us and it's a period of significant growth that will see a shift in the dynamic of our congregation and with that, things will begin to look a bit different. 
Differing methods, differing approaches may need to be adopted to accommodate what God is doing. New people will start to own things we once owned. People might sit where we sit, shock horror. They might make friends with people that are our friends. And people might take time to adopt and to adapt to our culture that means that things might be a little bit disjointed for a while, but that is okay. Increasing our welcome means increasing our vulnerability. And we have to be vulnerable. And we have to say it might not all look wonderful every week. It might not all look polished. It might feel a little bit disjointed, but that's okay. Because if you're willing to seek God, share faith and serve others, there's room at the table for you. This is part of making room and making space for others. We increase our welcome. We increase our vulnerability. And we increase our capacity. The passage goes on, second instruction, don't hold back. The Hebrew word here means restrain or spare nothing. This is a call to invest in the next season. It's to put our resources where our revelation is. To prepare properly, we need to increase in resources. We're called to invest what we have and what we're doing, but we're actually called to invest what we have and what we believe God is doing. And as God leads us, we will begin to take steps of faith that see us investing in that which perhaps in the current context doesn't make sense, but in view of our prophetic expectation, it does. There may be some things that you see as investing in that you're like, what's that all about? Doesn't fit the current reality, that's because it's in line with our prophetic expectation. And if I'm honest, this is why we've been reluctant to start midweek programs back quickly. And we've taken heat, man, have we taken some heat for holding fire from resurrecting ministries and from starting different events. And please hear this, we're not being obtuse and we're not being lazy we're just seeking to ensure that what we invest our resources in is in line with our prophetic expectation and is part of making room for what he plans to do. Bible studies, revitalizing connect groups, discipleship pathways, evangelism, social activities, all of these things are on our radar and there are so many things that would be easy for us to start for the sake of starting something. Someone once said to me not that long ago, your midweek program looks empty, start something, but we're not going to start something just for the sake of it. We have to ensure that we invest our resources in that which is in line with the shape and the function that he's calling us to have that that which fills our capacity is that what he puts in there and we don't overcrowd and get in the way of what he's trying to do. So please continue to be patient and gracious as we seek God for what is ahead. However, individually, we need to heed the call from God. We are to bring the tithe into the storehouse to resource his house so that the house has what it needs to enlarge and to be shaped the way that God is calling us to. And he calls us. Increase capacity, increase welcome, increase vulnerability, increase resource. And then he says, lengthen your cords. The cords of a tent and the stakes that they're attached to are that which holds the tent. They are the support for the structure and they're that which brings security and holds the structure fast. The cords, of course, are the visible support structures. You can't always see the tent, the, the poles inside the tent holding it up, but the cords are always noticeable, particularly when you trip over them, which I spent a whole week doing with our young people at Limitless Festival last summer. 
When you look at a tent, the cords are that which, in actual fact, increase its footprint. They increase the parameters of the tent because the cords extend the reach of the tent beyond the immediate space it's occupying. In our minds, for the curtains to be stretched wider, the cords then need to be lengthened and they need to reach out further than they have previously done. And the call to lengthen the cords then is a call to increase in reach. It is to reach out further than we have ever done before. And it's logical that if the stretching of the curtains represents an increase in welcome, if the stretching of the curtains then is linked to the lengthening of the cords, then an increase in welcome must involve an increase in reach. We have to reach out beyond our current footprint and our immediate parameters. A tent is only as strong as its support structures. A church's strength is determined by its reach. The whole prophetic analogy here in these verses is about opening up to make room for more. The church is not designed to contain and hide. We are not to contain the presence and reality of God. We're not meant to hide the goodness and the glory of God from pagans and heathens and sinners and the uncouth. We're to reach out and welcome everybody into who God is and what God is doing. The church is not merely to be seekers of God, but we are to be those that serve others and those that share faith, which means that the strength of the church is in its reach. The same way that the strength of the tent is in its cords and its stakes, the strength of a church is in its reach. And by that, we're not talking about how far across the country do people travel to be part of us. Rather, what we're talking about is the way that we communicate God to both the sinner and the saint the way that we create channels of grace that flow into our community around us and into the communities that God has uniquely placed each of us within, we need to increase our reach, Glasgow Elam. We have to look at ways that we connect what God is doing within us to those that are outside of our parameter and beyond our immediate footprint. We need to increase our reach and we are looking over these next few months at ways in which we can increase our reach because it's not quite there yet. But the strength of the church is in its reach. So we need to strengthen that area. We need to look to reach further. Fourthly, and finally, before we conclude, strengthen your stakes. The stakes are that which secure the tent to the ground. They are the holding power of the tent. So to strengthen the stakes is to increase the ability to hold that which is bigger and stronger. Strengthening the stakes is linked to an increase in capacity then. We can only go as big as our stakes allow us. And when we think of the stakes, the stakes are the pegs hammered into the ground that are at the very periphery of the tent and hold the tent firm in the ground. The stakes represent an ability to take and hold ground. And as we step into this season, God is going to release within us an ability to take and hold ground, to cover new territory, and to hold our place and position within seasons and shifting, and to hold it well. I think it's important that we hear that God is calling us to hold ground as well as to take ground. And to do so, we have to begin to strengthen that which is already our strength. 
to continue to resource that which we do well and to invest in that which brings strength and enables us to hold and take ground and to increase in our capacity and that which is the stakes of the church, that which enables us to take ground and hold ground, that which enables us to be shaped to a greater capacity is the seeking of God, the sharing of faith and the serving of others. In our preparatory actions, we have to invest in these areas. We have to deepen in these areas. We have to develop in these areas because these are the basic components by which we take ground and hold ground. Seeking Him, sharing our faith, serving others around us. That's what allows us to increase our capacity. That's what allows us to take our ground and hold our ground. So we need to strengthen that which is already in some senses, strength. Let's bring this to conclusion because time has gone and you've been so patient. Isaiah's prophecy follows an interesting structure. There's an, envis an envisioning that is a call to praise, a call to grow and increase in worship. There's a call to prepare that is to grow and increase in potential. And then comes a further envisioning that is about posture and perspective and I promise we'll be quick with this. It says, spread out, you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. This final verse presents to us the results of the singing and the results of the preparation steps. Isaiah prophesies, here's what's going to happen when you let your vision shape your voice and your expectation shape your actions. Here's what's going to take place. And two things are mentioned, two resulting actions. One, we're told, is going to be experienced by you. And the other is going to be experienced by your descendants. And this is interesting. The result of responding to the voice of God has an impact on the present, but also has an impact on the future. And the really significant point is that the experience of the future generation is greater than the experience of the present generation. Isaiah prophesies you are going to spread out to the right and the left. Your shape is going to change and you're going to grow to inhabit the current ground in a greater way. But those that come after you are going to go further than you. They're actually going to dispossess nations and transform entire cities. You're going to spread out to the ground immediately around about you, but they're going to go even further than that. And all of that is going to be accomplished by what you do now. All of this will take place as the result of letting your vision shape your voice and your expectation shape your actions. Glasgow Elam, God has called us, it's our vision, to build that that will showcase God to the now, the next, and the not yet generations. And we have to recognize that our actions now are going to shape what's next. In fact, the whole tenet of this prophetic statement is that we are to act now in order to enable the next. As a church, we have to allow this to shape and alter our perspective and to change our posture. The way that we posture ourselves in this season of ministry, the way that we posture ourselves before God, we have to do it with a recognition that our current actions prepare a platform for future generations. In fact, our ceiling becomes another generation's foundation. As we seek to stretch into our fullest potential, our potential becomes their platform. It's because the woman stretched out to occupy the ground 
that meant her boundaries were further out, that meant the starting point for the next generation was further, and they could begin to take cities. And as they stretched out to their potential, the generation after them could go even further because their starting point was further again, and they could begin to take nations. We need to have a generational perspective. And this call challenges a consumer mindset. The consumer mindset that is, we want to know what God's going to do now. We want to know what he's going to do for us in our time, in our generation. We want to see him move. And that's in itself, it's not wrong. It comes out of a genuine hunger to see him move and, and for our family and friends to come to know Jesus. But we have to realize that we have to stretch that view. We have to take a different posture and take a generational lens. We want to see him move in the now generation. We want to see him move amongst us to see him spread out to the right and the left. But our descendants, that is the next and the not yet generations, they are going to go further than we could ever imagine and we could ever envision. Those who come after us are going to smash our ceiling. And they're going to do even greater. And they're going to accomplish further. So we have to walk Glasgow Elam to its fullest potential so the generations after us can walk it to its fullest potential in their generation and their time. We have to walk to the fullest potential so the next generation can realize theirs. We have to seek God, share faith, serve him in such a way that those coming after us look back and thank God for the heritage that they have. That they look back and recognize the strong platform that they have to springboard from in the pursuit of the purpose of God in their time and in their age. And I think there's an element here that we have to grasp, but it's hard to grasp. Isaiah prophesies to the woman and he brings to her a revelation of something that she understands, but will never see. She understood that her descendants would dispossess nations and transform cities. But she may never see it. And I know this is a metaphor, but we're taking it at face value. In our time, in our age, we receive from God, we hear from him, we accept revelation that we come to understand that in the divine plan of God for our house here and for our individual families. And yet, while we understand that, we might never see it come to pass. There will be prophecies spoken into the soul of the church, visions perceived, things prayed and believed for that in our time and generation we might never see, but in the grand scheme of God, they will live on to have their fulfillment, which is why it's important that we recognize unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers completely build in vain. Generations come and go, but God is consistent throughout the generations and he's the master architect who's leading the building. He's putting in at this level what is needed so that when those come in at the next level, they have what is needed to build to go further. We might not see the impact of that, but that's okay. God does. What is the ceiling in our generation is the foundation in another, and God is at work, both guides and leads to create that which showcases his glory and stands the test of time. Glasgow Elam, we carry in the soul of our church that which we might never see. Dreams, prophecies and revelations but we act now in preparation for what he is going to do in our time and generation and we act upon them now to enable the next and the not yet generations to reach their potential 
And I say that, and you know what? There's times in which, and I can say this as a leader, where you, you prophesy and you pray and you lead the church into a direction that you believe God is sending it up for and then you step away and never see it. There's times in which we receive things from God and we pray them into our family or we pray them into our church life and we steward it as much as we can in prayer and we prophesy and we speak it out and we never see it. We go to the grave without its fulfillment and think, did I get it wrong? No, 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 hear this. God is the God that spans generations and he puts in at each level and each layer and he releases into the soul and into the spirit that which is needed to build the platform, not just for us, but for those that will come after us that they can springboard from a foundation that is strong and enables them to pursue the purpose of God in their generation and see our city and our nation transformed with glory. I don't know about you, but I am content if all God does in our time is stretch us out to increase our capacity, to increase our welcome, to showcase his glory, that we spread out further to occupy further round about us. I'm content with that if it means that actually the generations after us are going to take our city for Jesus. If they push and they push and the generations that come after that are going to take our nation for Jesus. We play our part and we play our role. But we have to posture this correctly. He is shaping us. And he's shaping us not just for us, but for those that will come after us. For the next and the not yet. So we have to embrace this, not just for our sake, but for theirs. Let the generation after us receive something strong, something that has them ready to step fully into what God is calling them to. Church, God is calling us to grow. We need to grow. And as we do, we have to take these preparatory steps to increase in welcome, to increase in capacity, to increase in vulnerability, to increase in our resources, to increase our reach to increase in strength, to take ground and hold it. And all of that is not just for us, but for those that will come after us. But the key to that is coming before him and saying, shape us. We embrace the stretching. We embrace the shaping. Shape us and reshape us. And the key to stepping into that and into what's next is when we learn to sing barren woman. It's when we break out in order to break in. When we come together and recognize these are moments in which as we gather, we are singing out of the prophetic expectation that he's put in our hearts. And as we do, we're connecting our heart to that which he's calling us and we're moving it closer. But also that together, there is something profoundly spiritual happening when we unite as one voice and sing. We move our church we release momentum. We begin to bring direction. Begin to move closer and closer to that which he's calling us to. Church, it's time we found our voice again. It's time to grow. Let's stand, shall we?